Happy New Year and welcome to another episode of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. If this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you for joining the ride. And if this isn't your first time listening, thank you for being consistent and for listening to me for all this time. And I hope that in this new year, we can make new discoveries together and find out new wrestling stories together and just be able to grow together in general. So of course, with this episode, um, I've got your news of gossip-ish. And I have a special um, story time where I'm going to talk about all of my favorite moments in wrestling from the past year. And we know 2020 was a crazy and arduous year, but there was some good things that did happen in wrestling. So I'm going to talk about all of my favorite moments there. And then I'm going to do a weekly recap, which is going to be a little bit different this time. I'm going to recap Monday Night Raw, which was last Monday and last year now (laughs) and I'm going to talk about AEW in the wake of the passing of Brody Lee they did a special um episode paying tribute to him and I'm going to do um a recap of Smackdown so sit back relax and listen to this new 2021 episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast Okay, so now we're gonna start with our first news and gossipish segment of the new year. That was me doing an air horn noise. Forgive me. Anyway, <laughs> so we're gonna start with talking about Pat McAfee and how he shot down a rumor that he was fired and/or taken off of NXT television. So on social media, there was this rumor that he may or may may have been taken off of NXT television and/or fired. So um, he addressed the rumors because David Meltzer released and reported that he'd been pulled from NXT programming, and he noted that it was WWE's decision and not McAfee's, and that. McAfee would likely be back in the spring. So then Pat tweeted the day um, after Christmas and said, I think I got fired on Christmas. And he took pictures of this um, Twitter account called Wrestling Headlines at Rest Headlines. And they had a new report saying that he was pulled from NXT TV and a bunch of reasons as to why it happened. So um, he stated on the Pat McAfee show that maybe everything that guy is saying is close to accurate, but that doesn't mean I should ha- I should have to read on the internet all day Christmas that NXT has just written me off of television for the rest of my life. And what's so weird about it is, is the fact that we haven't seen him since NXT take over war games, right? Where the Undisputed Era defeated his team um, that he had with um, Pete Dunne and the NXT Tag Team Champions, Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, right? So it's possible that maybe they're just keeping him off television until, you know, they want to either continue the feud with the Undisputed Era or make him do something else. I don't know. But to sort of jump to the conclusion that he's been taking off television and possibly might have been fired it's just kind of like you know jumping all the way to conclusions that haven't even been met yet and if he was released I'm pretty sure they would have released a statement saying oh well Pat McAfee's been released we'll wish him the best in our future endeavors blase blah y'all know the deal so um that was just kind of weird so here's hoping that Pat McAfee will show back up at some point and that he's not fired um also in the news, we have Ric Flair talking about wanting a big retirement match for Triple H. So by now, it's well documented that, tri- that Triple H and Ric Flair are the best of friends. Um, they worked backstage a whole lot, and then they were put together in the group Evolution, if you remember that, with um, Randy Orton and Batista. Kind of like, sort of like the four horsemen of sort of the 2000s, if you would think of it that way. Um, and they're just really close friends. So... 
um, Ric Flair um, mentioned in an interview with WWUK that he's hoping to have to see him have a huge retirement match, even um, if he elects to retire in the future. He deserves every bit of it and all the recognition to go with it. And he also stated that he's accomplished all this through his efforts and he has ascended himself to a place of not just being a great worker. He's helped to impact the company with the growth of NXT, helping to see young guys um, get the opportunity to make the main roster, working with people on a daily basis. Plus, he's one of two of my two or three best friends. I just saw him at Raw and at TLC and had a nice talk with him. He basically lives the kind of schedule we did in the old days. He wouldn't have it any other way. He won't miss anything, and he's always wanting to see the company grow. So, as at this stage, you see Triple H more of a backstage um, hand, and also as a person who helps NXT to grow into what it is now, and he's sort of fostering the future. He's more of the dad now, and it's beautiful to see him in that role, but, you know, if he does, you know, come back into wrestling, he tends to do it only, you know, if he really wants to do it, to sort of uplift, um the future as opposed to sort of taking the spotlight all for himself so i believe once triple h does get to that point where he does retire um much to the chagrin of my father more than likely because that's his favorite wrestler you know it'll be something big and it'll be something worthy of someone who's been with the company as long as he has just this just last year he celebrated his 25th anniversary so if he goes a few more years and decides at year 30 he wants to retire then i'm pretty sure they'll do it in a beautiful way that um is worthy of the respect that he is worthy of so he can go on and be more of the NXT dad that he's grown to be now. Also in the news, we have Trip, um, not Triple H, but Booker T um, talking about how he thinks that Sting should not wrestle. So as you may or may not know, Sting made his debut on AEW during their special um, Winter is Coming a few weeks back, and he's wrestling with AEW with a full-time deal. But his fellow Hall of Fame buddy Booker T doesn't think it's a good idea for him to step into the ring for another match. He stated in an interview with Chris Van Vliet um, that he he said, for Sting to want a match, I wouldn't advise it, okay? At 61 years old, I wouldn't advise it. Is it worth it? I don't know. I mean, to him, it might be worth it. But I say wrestling is a young man's sport. That's why I got out. I said I was going to retire when I was 40. And when I turned 40, I was like, I'm still pretty good, man. I'm still better than the rest of these suckers on the roster. So I pushed it until I was 45 and then I walked away from it. And I tell you, I don't ever itch to put my boots back on to go out there and ever do that again. So um, the AEW president, Tony Khan, said that Sting's contract is with AEW is full time and for multiple years. But he did not fully indicate whether he would be an in-ring competitor. But and then what's so weird about it is the fact that Sting got injured in a match with Seth Rollins in 2015, um, which led to him retiring from in-ring competition when he got inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. But now he's rest. Now he's back in AEW, and he could be a competitor, or he could be, you know, fostering the future. Who knows? He did show up on AEW this past Wednesday on the Brody Lee tribute episode to to mix it up with um, Team Taz. So we have yet to see where that's gonna go. But you know, if he wants to wrestle, I just hope that he's you know just gonna play it safe and not hurt himself anymore. Um, because I would hate to see him wind up being, you know, in a wheelchair or just hurt really bad. Um, I love staying from a very deep childhood place and I just don't want to see him get hurt in any major way.
And finally in the news, um, to end it on a sort of positive but sort of sad note, um, Brody Lee Jr., a.k.a. Negative One, has been signed to an AEW contract for the future. Now, um, if you may or may not know, Brody Lee, um, whose real name was John Huber, um, but also known as Luke Harper in the WWE as part of the Wyatt family, passed away this past Saturday at the age of 41 due to a non-COVID related lung issue that he had been battling since last this, pa- this past October. And he left behind his wife and two sons. And one son um, he has, um, they call him Brody Lee Jr. And he showed up on the AEW tribute episode this past Wednesday dressed in a, um, in a Dark Order mask. And he was actually... Um, in some of the storylines that were going on on the show and i'll talk about that a little bit more later but they've decided to sign him to a contract with plans of putting him on the company's roster when he's of age and this was announced by tony shivani on his what happened when podcast and tony shivani is a legendary commentator from wcw and now he's on AEW. so um he's so shivani quoted as to say knowing that Brody was very sick and knowing it was holiday time and I guess knowing that for him to kick out it was going to be I don't want to say a miracle but it was going to be very difficult to kick out they had brought little Brody to tv and wrestling is his life he's eight years old he's a great kid and they made him a member of the dark order they put a mask on him he came out with a kendo stick he beat up a lot of people this of course was at a tv taping with nobody in the audience they signed him to a contract they legitimately signed him to a contract and when he gets of age he will be with aew they have taken care of him and he follows guys around all the time in the back and he's become a part of us and also um he ceremoniously won the AEW World Championship during a dark television taping by getting Kenny Omega to tap out earlier this month. And Justin Roberts, their ring announcer for AEW, proclaimed Lee Jr. as the new champion. And what's so beautiful about this entire situation with him losing his father in such a sad manner, you see that since he's been, since he was in the hospital since October, nobody really knew. Um, he had been off television for months. Um, with them taking care of his son the way that they have, it's been absolutely beautiful to see how this wrestling family has just come to surround this family with nothing but love and support during this incredibly difficult time. And thoughts and prayers are with the Huber family and definitely with his friends that he made across all promotions in WWE, AEW, and in the independent circuit, definitely. Um, It's been beautiful to see how they've just surrounded this family with all the love and support that they'll need to get through this difficult time. Like they're entering um, a new year without their person and it's just a really sad situation but the silver lining if there's any silver lining in all of this is the fact that Brody Lee Jr. has a family that's going to always remind him of who his father was and the kind of man his father was and they're going to surround him with love and foster him into this wrestling business if he has a mind to do it once he gets of age so I can't wait to see what's next for him for this beautiful little boy and you know his brother and for his wife as well who's having to sort of keep this family together through all of this after losing her best friend. And that's the end of News and Gossipish. And now we're going to talk about my favorite moments um, from wrestling this year, the EST of 2020.
the EST of 2020. These are my favorite moments of last year. Like, 2020 was a crazy year in more ways than one. We had to fight a global pandemic. Everything got shut down. So many people lost so much. Um, People lost jobs. People lost family members. People just lost a lot of everything. People had a lot of fear. Like 2020 revealed a lot about our human nature and revealed a lot about ourselves. And I'm pretty sure we all learned something about ourselves um, in the midst of all the lessons that we learned um, from last year. It wasn't necessarily the best year, but it had its moments of light. And that's something that I have, you know, tried to make it my mission to discuss on the show is all the positive parts of all the craziness and the darkness that tends to go on in life. And in wrestling, one of the beautiful parts about um, being a fan was the fact that I got to see how resilient wrestling actually is. Like when the chips are down and when just about every other sport and everything else was canceled, Wrestling was able to maintain itself and maintain a level of um, beauty and a level of um, entertainment and actually up the ante when it comes to their entertainment that I wasn't sure how they were going to do it. But somehow or another, it did. And it was absolutely wonderful to see, even though there were a couple of people outside of the wrestling world who were sort of throwing shade at it because they didn't necessarily understand it as much. Um, here's looking at you, DJ Envy and Charlemagne from The Breakfast Club. Love y'all, but you know, y'all were throwing shade at wrestling. Anyway, <laughs> and also people like Kenny Smith from ESPN who was throwing shade at wrestling, but then wound up being on the bump, but we're not going to discuss that either. It's just, even with some of the people who may not have understood it, there were still people who were still seeking to learn about it, you know, as they became more fascinated with it, even in my own life. Um, so I'm really happy with where wrestling is now and how it just rose to the occasion of giving us something to look at when the rest of the world was just turning sideways. So I'm going to talk about all of my favorite moments from the year 2020 in wrestling. So we're going to start with the Royal Rumble, um, which is basically how this podcast started. Um, My favorite moment was definitely Edge's return. When he came back after nine years of not being in action, it was just absolutely wonderful to hear his music hit. And this was pre-pandemic. So this was when there was a crowd um, in that stadium, the Minute Maid Park. And... um, This was also the day where, sadly, we lost Kobe and Gigi and those other people who were on the helicopter. And I was just completely out of it while watching this pay-per-view. But seeing Edge return just sort of knocked me back into the swing of being, you know, happy about a thing to take place on that day. And it's just when his music hit, it was just absolutely incredible to just see him come back. Because like I've said probably multiple times on this show, I saw his last match. Um, at WrestleMania 27 in Atlanta. So to see him come back at the Royal Rumble and then have a run with the with Randy Orton, you know, in their matches and stuff like that, it was just really cool. 
And I also enjoyed Bianca Belair's um, record-setting performance in the Women's Royal Rumble match. She um, eliminated a good number of women. I forgot the exact number. I think it was about maybe nine or ten women in that match. And I really wanted her to go on and win the whole thing. But, you know, it was all about Charlotte, you know, who was set to win that Royal Rumble that year and face Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's title. Um, By seeing her perform, you know, in that match in front of an audience who may or may not have been as familiar with her was definitely, you know, some great icing on the cake for me. And it's always all about black excellence. So I was excited to see her do that. And also in the theme of black excellence, we had Naomi return um, at the Royal Rumble and she returned with her beautiful natural hair. And she came back and wound up actually matching up with Charlotte in that match and having her Kofi moment in that match as well. And the best part about her returning in the Royal Rumble was the fact that she went viral, you know, amongst women who hadn't watched wrestling in so long, amongst black women who may not have ever watched wrestling but she went viral because she came back with her beautiful natural hair and brought a whole new audience to wrestling who may not have otherwise watched it and she was even featured you know in essence magazine with a um article about her and her natural hair along with Mia Yim and Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks and that meant the world to me because being a black woman who also reads essence magazine you know um and other publications of that sort, it meant the world to me to sort of see those things cross over. So that was really amazing. And then the pandemic happened and then there was the shutdown. So we were wondering, you know, how was wrestling going to continue to go on without its fans? Because there was only one documented moment where um, WWE had an event where there weren't any fans there. And um, we just didn't know how that was going to happen because when it comes to wrestling events, you know, fans are the lifeblood, you know, they sort of, they're sort of like the secondary character amongst all the wrestlers who come out and fight in front of us. It's like, you got the wrestlers, you got the referee, you have the commentators, you have the camera, the camera people, and then you have the people backstage who help run the show. And then you have the fans. And really for the first time in my lifetime, I was never, you know, I was just concerned about how this was going to happen. Um, and I was also emotionally sort of torn up at the idea that I wasn't going to be able to go to a wrestling event, you know, for the first time, you know, in so long in my life, because I've been to about 20 wrestling events in my life from my childhood on to now. And I had just never gotten used to it, but you had to in terms of safety. So I was just wondering, how are they going to go on? But They found a way and they moved everything to the performance center at that time in Orlando, Florida, and just kept pushing. And it was wonderful. And also outside of wrestling, you had the XFL, you know, that started this year. But then they wound up going bankrupt because of the pandemic. But then they wound up getting bought by um, The Rock and his ex-wife, Danny Garcia, And now they're going to reboot that sometime either this year or next year. But I believe probably next year once we can get crowds going again. So another great moment that I really loved um, during this pandemic era was the beef between Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose. 
And something that I thought was really interesting and that I really didn't necessarily like was the fact that during the Slammy Awards, they weren't nominated for Best Feud or Best Rivalry. Um, and they were replaced with Lana. Well, not replaced, but they were, but they favored putting Lana and announce tables in that category, but didn't put Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose in that category. And that was very disappointing because that feud was very hot when it happened. Like, I mean, you had Mandy who was falling in love with Otis while she was also sort of, you know, going back and forth with Dolph Ziggler. And the only reason Dolph Ziggler was going out with her was because Sonya put him up to it. And Sonya was like, you know, you, it was always the focus on you being the pretty one and the beautiful one. And nobody focused on me when I'm the better athlete. And that feud was amazing. Like when they broke up and when it was revealed that she really felt like she was incredibly selfish and all of that after the mystery person who turned out to be Mustafa Ali, you know, revealed those plans to break up her and Otis. It was just really hot and it deserves more credit than it actually gets. Um, I know it sort of got lost in the shuffle with everything else that they had going on that was just white hot at the time, but it deserved more credit, you know, for what it did. And then it led to them having their match at SummerSlam where the loser had to leave WWE and Mandy Rose wound up winning, but it really showed more of what Sonya Deville was able to do as a heel. You saw more of her veracity and her personality, you know, with that. And of course she did have to leave because she had to deal with, um, the incident that happened where that person broke into her house and all that but I hope that at some point she will come back and show more of what she has to offer whether that be on Raw or Smackdown I would hope she comes back to Raw because I would love to see Mandy Rose you know sort of pick up that feud again you know and, and put more gas behind that but you know we had to wait and see for that because it's still a new year and everything could happen there also, I really loved Otis and Mandy getting together, you know, starting with Valentine's Day um, and then going to towards WrestleMania where he fought Dolph Ziggler and beat him. And then Otis wound up getting Mandy Rose wound up choosing Otis and they wound up dating. That was really one of the best parts of the year, too. It was really cute to see this beautiful bombshell of a woman choose this average guy who has a great heart but doesn't necessarily look like the type of guy that she would you know go for um it just goes to show you that when it comes to love you know there's really no type of look that sort of goes into that like you just fall in love with who you fall in love with and it's just worth it to sort of see where it goes now, they wound up getting separated during the draft, which disappointed me, but also on social media, you know, they still like each other's pictures and everything. And he calls her, he still calls her, you know, his beautiful peach and everything. So who's, so who's to say that it's really ever truly over in terms of television? It was still really cute to see it play out and all of that. It was just really beautiful. So also we had Bianca Belair's, um, black history in the making outfit at NXT TakeOver Portland. She was set to face Rhea Ripley, who had all of her focus on Charlotte Flair, but Bianca Belair was going after one last run at the NXT women's title, and she was telling her, you know, you need to focus on me. And so they went to fight each other at NXT TakeOver Portland, and she is well known for making her outfits all the time but she came out here with this beautiful purple and gold outfit that had black history in the making all over it and she had this cape that said black history in the making sort of reminded you of um randy savage and his you know capes that he used to come out with back in the day and she looked absolutely beautiful in this outfit and i made a whole episode about it so please go listen to black history in the making if you have a mind to but this is a beautiful moment you know for her sort of stepping out and showing 
more of what she had to offer athletically against someone like Rhea Ripley. And even though she sort of got tossed to the side after Rhea Ripley beat her and Charlotte beat the both of them up and we were sort of hoping it was going to be a triple threat for the NXT women's title between all three of them. It wound up only being Rhea versus Charlotte. But Bianca went on to make her debut during WrestleMania um, by beating up Zelina Vega, who was trying to interfere between, you know, the whole tag team picture that they had with um, Andrade and Angel. So that was still really cool, too. And I just hope nothing but great things for her now that she's on SmackDown. Um, And she might very well possibly get in contention for the um, SmackDown Women's Championship against Sasha Banks. That is if they don't win the women's tag team titles at some point. Who knows? So that was a really cool thing to see. Also, one of my favorite things to see this year was Keith Lee winning the NXT title and being double champion with the North American title, even if it was only for a short time, because he wound up relinquishing the North American title um, to give the rest of the NXT roster a chance at that title. And even though he was NXT champion for a short time because he went on to lose it to Karrion Cross, who went on to relinquish it due to injury, it was still amazing to see him have his moment in the sun after um, he had endured some personal loss in his life from losing his coach that he did talk about um, in his WWE Chronicle, which I do recommend you go watch. Um, it was still a beautiful moment to see him win that um, win that you know, title and retain the North American title against someone like Adam Cole, who had got, who had basically become the longest reigning NXT champion at that point. So that was a beautiful moment um, for him to sort of tie up with the only person who's ever held double titles, um, which is Paige, because she was the NXT Women's Champion, actually the first NXT Women's Champion, and she went on to win the Divas Championship, and she was double champion for a short while until she had to relinquish the NXT Women's Championship at that point. Also, one of my favorite things this year was the two-night WrestleMania thing. That was amazing. Like, it had all kinds of amazing matches. Charlotte versus Rhea was amazing. See a Rhea Ripley dress up like Vegeta from um, Dragon Ball Z was really cool. Seeing Charlotte sort of win that title was very shell-shocking. But hey, I mean, um, I wasn't as angry about it as a lot of people were. But hey, I mean, you're, you're entitled to your opinion. But it was still a really good match. Um, then you had Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens. I mean, my God, that match was really cool. And to see Kevin Owens jump from that giant WrestleMania sign and for it to be as iconic as it was for them being in the performance center, it was still really good. Um, and of course, seeing Drew McIntyre win the WWE title, um, against Brock Lesnar was really cool too, because you, you were able to see him get his just due and become the guy, you know, in the company after, after having become or being chosen as the guy by Vince McMahon a long time ago, only for him to fall off of his perch, you know, and then his redemption story started where he got himself together, you know, came through the Indies and then went to Impact and then came back to NXT and now he's our champion. Like, and then he lost it and then he won it back. So, hey, I mean, you can't really beat Drew McIntyre become champion. And he went on to retain that title against the Big Show that very same night. So that was really good too. Um, big ups to Drew McIntyre for having a stellar year. Also, I have to talk about my girls, Bailey and Sasha seeing them and their sort of slow burn 
um, as being best friends and sort of running roughshod over the women's division on all three brands was just absolutely phenomenal to see. Um, to see them sort of help each other as these heels who were just sort of taking advantage of everything, of every opportunity they could to go on to win the women's tag team titles from Alexa and um, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross was just really phenomenal and kind of nerve wracking at times, but still phenomenal nonetheless. Um, and then to see that sort of slow burn where you could see that Bailey was always thrusting Sasha into these situations where she would have to fight um, ba- uh, Bailey's battles and then how Bailey would never keep that same energy for Sasha. And to finally see it all come to a head um, in a very unexpected way, which was really beautiful because you would always think that Sasha was going to turn heel or turn on Bailey, but it wound up being the other way around and it wound up being Bailey turning on Sasha on my birthday. That's like the biggest flex of my life. Like the biggest wrestling flex of my life is like that happening on my birthday and also, um, Monday Night Nitro debuting on my birthday on my second birthday like those are the two biggest wrestling flexes of my entire life like that was just really cool to see that happen because I was wanting them to sort of you know fight each other with the same veracity as they did with NXT um when they fought each other in that stellar women's wrestling's match that I feel like is the greatest women's wrestling match to ever take place ever um and we can fight about it um and then to see them on their tag team run against Asuka and Kyrie Sane and the way that they were, you know, that they sort of wrote Kyrie Sane out of the story and allowed for Sasha to win the Raw Women's Championship only for a short time. Um, and then how Sasha went on to sort of fight um, to, to fight for her respect and beat up Bailey, you know, and beating her in their Hell in a Cell match, which was one of the best matches of last year, in my opinion. It was absolutely great to finally see Sasha sort of rise above and win, um, even though she had the most experience with the Hell in a Cell match, you know, she never really won a match on pay-per-view like that before and retained the title or won a title like that. And she wound up doing that against her former best friend. And that was really, really cool. And I will never forget that. Also, another favorite part of 2020 was seeing Zelina Vega get a small push towards title contention um, on Raw after she left Angel Garza and Andrade. This was really cool for me to see because I always predicted um, after seeing her sort of, you know, get involved with Andrade's matches as his manager, I always wanted her to go after a title and go on like her own singles push because I knew that she had the ability to do it. And she did it, you know, for a short time and she wound up holding her own against Asuka, you know, for the Raw Women's title. Um, and I wish she had the opportunity to do more as a singles competitor, but outside stuff got in the way with her whole Twitch deal. And she wound up getting released by not letting it go ever. And she unfortunately got released. And that bummed me out because she's definitely one of my favorites. And um, shout out to her as Thea Trinidad. Um, that's her real name. Um, and you can follow her on her social platforms as that. But I was really bummed to see her get released. And here's hoping that somehow she'll still find a way to make waves in the wrestling landscape wherever she decides to go. Because man, she's just so good. And I just love her so much. And 
I've talked about that multiple times, so I won't fully get into it anymore, but I just hated to see her go. Um, I also love seeing Shotzi Blackheart sort of come out as this um, host person in terms of Halloween Havoc and seeing more of her personality. And, I, and she's just my favorite little wrecking ball. I love her so much. I have like the weirdest ungodliest crush on her too, but we're not going to discuss that. Um, <laughs> also, a couple of my favorite things was be- was Becky Lynch's pregnancy announcement, the Mysterio family, um, seeing Big E's single run, you know, and now he's the intercontinental champion. And here's hoping that he does bigger things um, and actually faces Roman Reigns for the universal title this year, maybe win the Royal Rumble or whatever. Um, the NXT Women's War Games match, um, Jade Cargill. And Brandy Rhodes and their beef, which wound up getting sidelined due to the fact that Brandy Rhodes is pregnant now with her child with Cody Rhodes. And congratulations to them on that. Um, and I also loved watching Thunder Rosa and getting to know her and also getting a chance to interview her on my show. Please check out that episode, Thunder and Havoc. And just getting to know, you know, the independent circuit a whole lot more. That was one of my favorite moments as well. And I'll also say that I loved everything involving Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. Because baby, when it comes to him, when Roman Reigns turned heel and got Paul Heyman on his side, he became this Samoan mob boss that you just don't ever want to cross ever. He's the head of the table and you better recognize it. And his relationship with Jay Uso is just so abusive. Like, I literally feel like someone somewhere in psychology should watch wrestling and write like a whole dissertation or a research paper on how Roman Reigns and Jay Uso, you know, portray familial, mental and physical abuse, because that's literally I feel like something that I get out of it. I feel like that's something that I'm passionate about because I am against abuse in all forms. And I feel like if you watch this show and if you watch them and everything that they did, it just showed, you know, abuse in the worst way, because you have Jay Uso who wants to, you know, still be in the family fold and still do everything to please Roman Reigns, but he's doing it at the at the expense of his dignity and that's something to be discussed like you know you want to you know have the approval of your family if you come from a family like that but at the same time you're doing it you know at the expense of yourself and your own identity like you know at some point I'm pretty sure Jey Uso is going to bust out of his you know shell and destroy Roman Reigns and probably go after him again or maybe leave you know but it's looking like that's not happening now and he's just fully embracing the whole you know wacky thing um but Jey Uso has done a phenomenal job you know as a solo competitor because you know we always grew up seeing him as you know the other twin brother with Jimmy and now he's just done more than that and it's just really great to see and honestly I just want to see the rock you know come back and do the whole tribal chief um I'm the head of the table in the Samoan dynasty blah but hey we just gotta wait and see and see what 2021 brings huh and also, I loved Carmella and how she returned. And I know this is unpopular to say, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> I loved Carmella and how she returned with a little bit more veracity as well as a heel. Because, you know, she sort of, you know, we've seen her as a heel before. But I feel like now she's sort of, you know, this snobbish heel that likes to drink champagne and be this, you know, glamour girl. And I actually liked that a whole lot for her. Um, but and I also really loved, you know, seeing more of her personality this year 
with her podcast with Corey Graves, the Bear With Us podcast, and how, you know, they're sort of, you know, known as Matt and Leah, which is their real names as a couple. And they're really cute as a couple. I actually like them together. And I hope and I wish nothing but great things for them. I hope they stay together and get married and have a amazing wedding. But, you know, let's just let's just move past that. I loved everything that Carmela did this year. Um, so and I know a lot of people, you know, tend to come down on her because they don't feel like she's that good of a wrestler or they don't feel like or they feel like she's fake because of all the, you know, surgeries that she's has done. But, you know, why are we shaming women for what they do with their bodies in 2021? Let's stop that. Um, women need to stop doing it and men definitely need to stop doing it. But we just need to stop doing that in general. So she's still, you know, really good in my book. And I really loved her and appreciated her. And also something else that I really loved this year was connecting with wrestling fans from all over the world, like with this podcast, like I never thought that I would be able to interview, you know, someone like BJ um, from Australia and shout out to him and Aussie Lucian. And I never thought that I would talk to so many people from all over the country um, who love wrestling just as much as I do. And that happened to me this year. And that was really great to connect with other wrestling podcasters who've welcomed me into this big family, like, and interviewing, you know, with them, like with people like Miranda Morales and people like Rob from the Bob Culture podcast and like, um, and connecting with people like Derek, um, with Rap and Wrestle and Wrestling IQ 101. Like connecting with people like that and then interviewing on the Jobber Tears podcast, which is, in my opinion, one of the greatest black wrestling podcasts that exists now. You know, that meant the world to me. And shout out to Wilkins, to Sir Wilkins and Mr. Black and Janelle. I love all three of you guys so much. And I look up to you guys. Like, I love y'all so much. And it's just. You know, I just hope that more of that, you know, continues to happen in my life and seeing some of my guests, you know, succeed in wrestling like Promise Braxton. She was my first female guest and she went on to win the reality of wrestling diamonds championship like seeing stuff like that just means the world to me to know that I have the most that I've had the most gifted wrestlers on my show and to see them continue to succeed and to see Thunder Rosa in this feud with Britt Baker and how she beat her up you know this past Wednesday like seeing stuff like that just means the world to me and I'm just really glad that all of this has happened you know this year so those are some of my favorite things that have happened in 2020 and of course I'm going to talk more about how a W's tribute episode to Brody Lee that's definitely one of my favorite things that happened in wrestling it was very heartfelt and I'm going to talk more about that um in the AEW recap but that was my EST list of 2020 and now we're going to go to the recap of Monday Night Raw Okay, so I was sitting with my friends one day and they asked me, Stephanie, how do you record your podcast? And I said, with the Anchor app on my phone. And they were like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, it's that simple. It is absolutely free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. And it will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's got everything you need to make a podcast in one place. They even have classes and stuff that you can listen to that will give you all kinds of good tips on what you need to do in order to make the best podcast. So if you want to do this, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. 
Okay, so now we're going to do a weekly recap and we're going to start with Monday Night Raw. And as usual, um, something that isn't going to change is that I start with the girls. So Shayna Baszler and um, Dana Brooke had a match and um, Mandy Rose, who has returned, came out to be in Dana Brooke's corner. So Shayna, I kind of felt like in this match, it was a little bit of a mismatch because you kind of have someone like Dana Brooke, who is a great athletic, you know, wrestler up against someone who has an MMA background and who knows how to tear people apart um, limb from limb like Shayna Baszler. And even though I did kind of feel like it was a mismatch, it was still okay in the idea that Dana wasn't just letting her run her run her over. Um So Shayna kind of started the match, you know, attacking Dana Brooks left arm and she just targeted it um, over and over again. And then um, she wanted to possibly like break it. And it was and she was doing it in front of Mandy Rose, who she basically injured a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago. But then Dana Brooke um, was still trying to fight out of it. But yet, um. Shayna Baszler was trying to beat up on Mandy Rose a little bit more a whole lot but then um as she was distracted Dana Brooke hit this incredibly impressive spinning net breaker but then after um the two count Shayna Baszler kicked out and then caught Dana Brooke with a knee strike into the Carafuda clutch for the win and then Shayna Baszler pulled in Mandy Rose to make her tap out to the Carafuda clutch as well so there was really not that much to I mean it was all it was a pretty good match but at the same time it wasn't anything like overly impressive. Um Shayna Baszler basically dominated the two girls and um this wouldn't be the last time we would see her um during the um during the night because Nia Jax had a match versus Charlotte and Oscar was in Charlotte's corner because, of course, they're the women's tag team champions. And, of course, Shayna Baszler was in her corner. So Nia Jax was backstage with Charlotte Caruso, and she stated that she was going to enter the Royal Rumble, um, even though even though she was sort of focused on Charlotte Flair because um, she was the one who actually injured her and that she was happy to actually fight her. And then Shayna Baszler said that she was going to um, throw her hat in the ring for the Royal Rumble as well. So... Um, Nia Jax here just wasn't ready for Charlotte, who's basically fresh and ready to fight now since she's been gone. Um, Asuka took out Shayna Baszler on the outside while Charlotte went for the figure eight only to get bashed head first into the turnbuckle, which looked kind of bad. Like there was a second where I thought Charlotte got injured, but I guess she didn't because she kept going. And then Nia began to dominate and take advantage of that. And then she planted Charlotte with a powerbomb and then um, barely missed a leg drop. And then Shanna Baszler took out Asuka and then saved Jax from a figure eight. And then she locked in the Karafuda clutch on the on um, Charlotte. And then Asuka saved Charlotte from the hold and then sent them running. So basically, Charlotte won this match by disqualification. And I understand that maybe... Nia and Shayna want to, you know, have a rematch for the women's tag team titles, but I'm a little bit irritated with them being a team and just sort of acting like they could just railroad everybody and run over everybody. I'm a little bit tired of them as a team, and I'm sort of looking forward to them possibly breaking up at some point because with the Royal Rumble coming along, it's like, you know, it's really not a tag team thing. That's more of a every woman 
and every man for themselves. So I'm kind of just looking forward to Naya and Shayna finally just breaking up and just, you know, going their separate ways and being singles competitors again. Um, so along with that, we had an entire saga with Alexa Bliss demanding a match with Randy Orton after after um watching him sort of destroy the Firefly Funhouse. She invited him to her playground, which kind of sounds dirty, but we're not going to go into that. Um but Randy Orton didn't answer even though his music started playing, but she was just like I guess he doesn't want to come. But then instead, the screen came on and Randy Orton was in the Firefly Funhouse. And he basically proceeded to tear up and destroy every one of Bray Wyatt's friends in the house. Like he basically tore up Rambling Rabbit, Rabbit who seems to have like a billion lives left after he gets destroyed and or killed. Um, he hit Huskus in the head or something like that. And then I looked away for a few seconds and I didn't get a chance to see what he did to um, Sister Abigail. So basically, you know, he just tore up the Firefly Funhouse, which is something he just likes to do. And um, Alexa Bliss was basically shook by him tearing up the house. So she challenged him to a match and then he accepted it. So this so basically we'll fast forward to the end where. Um they were standing in the ring together and um randy was demanding that that bray wyatt shows his face because he has basically been absent over the past couple of weeks um after he got set on fire um at tlc and then alexa grabbed a massive present and opened it in front of the in front of um randy orton and then she pulled out a gas can and matches and challenged Randy Orton to set her on fire the way that she, the way that he did the fiend. And he wasn't sure really what to make of it as she basically just proceeded to pour all the gas in the middle of the ring and all over her head and all of the above. And it was kind of creepy. I was just like, oh my God, what are you doing? And then she called him out for not being as evil and sadistic as he said he was and basically called him a B word. And... The lights began to go out the way that it does whenever the fiend is there. But then he smiled as he lit the match ready. He he seemed like he was ready to set Alexa on fire. But then that's where the, the show ended and it went straight to the next show on USA. And it sort of left us with a cliffhanger like, huh? Like, did he really set Alexa Bliss on fire? Find out next year is what they told us. So here we are. And, um... Raw is going to have to come back on. It's going to be the first Raw of 2021. And we get to see whether or not he really did set um, Alexa on fire. So that's pretty much all that happened with the girls. So now we're going to go to the beginning of the show. And of course, the show started with a tribute picture for um, John Huber, a.k.a. Luke Harper and a.k.a. Brody Lee. Um, and as Drew McIntyre opened the show to talk about... Um, Seamus and Keith Lee he started by saying it's Monday and you know what that means which is a tribute also to Brody Lee and then he said yeah 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 it's Monday Night Raw which is also another tribute to him because that's something that he used to say whenever he was in the ring with his opponents in WWE to make him sound sort of like a crazy person um he'd be like yeah 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 like that so um that's what he was doing and um, as he was talking about Seamus and Keith Lee, um, he made it clear that it, that he didn't, he made it clear that, um, 
it didn't matter who he was going to face, that either way he was going to still come out the champion. But then Sheamus came out um, to make it clear that he didn't lie to Drew, um, only by um, bro kicking Keith like off of the ring after the bell last week. And then Keith Lee came out and said that his that Drew McIntyre's word was worth nothing after last week and he was done working with them. And then Drew wanted a referee to come out and start the show with the number one contenders match that they had announced um, was supposed to happen later on in the evening. So the referee arrived and Sheamus, you know, hit back to back bro kicks on Keith Lee. But then um, Drew McIntyre joined commentary as a bell rang and then Keith Lee took control once he had recovered from the pre-match attack, throwing around Sheamus like a ragdoll. Then Sheamus fought back and blasted Lee onto the announce table with a top rope double axe handle. And then Sheamus held it together for a while, but then Keith Lee was just overwhelming him. And then a spine buster and a running crossbody from Keith Lee nearly put the match away. But Sheamus just wasn't looking to give up. He was trying to prove himself. Um, then Sheamus fought back with a white noise for a near fall. And just when it looked like neither one of them could do anymore Keith Lee planted Sheamus with a spirit bomb to win and become the number one contender for Drew McIntyre's WWE championship so on the first raw of the new year they're gonna fight each other and it's also legends night um on this coming Monday too so that's gonna be pretty big and pretty cool it was good to sort of see Keith Lee get this opportunity and I feel like it would be amazing if he actually did win um so we just have to wait and see here. So yeah, it's going to be cool. Then we had the Miz versus Grand Metalik. And um, this started with the house party mocking the Miz ahead of his match, calling him delusional for thinking he would get his money in the bank briefcase back after losing it, um, supposedly at TLC. So the Miz looked like he was really distraught and sad from having lost his money in the bank briefcase. And he was angry. Um, but he spent way too much time mocking Grand Metalik and not getting the win. So this allowed Grand Metalik to stay in the fight until he was able to roll up the Miz for a three count. But near the end of the night, Adam Pierce came to him and returned um, the money in the bring briefcase to him, stating that the Miz was right and that only the Miz could cash it in and not John Morrison on behalf of the Miz. So Miz is still Mr. Money in the Bank and that little X factor is still hanging over our heads and he can still cash it in between now and July, maybe. Um, so yeah, the Miz is still, you know, being his Mizzy self. So then we had this other segment involving AJ Styles with almost, you know, and Elias and um Jackson Riker. And AJ Styles started basically accosting Elias because he was speaking on behalf of Omos, who was listening to Mozart, and he was saying that Elias's music was basically disturbing him, you know, and his piece or whatever. And he said that he sounded like trash. And what's so funny is you had Jackson Riker, you know, supposedly being like Elias's right hand man or like security or whatever, but him standing up next to Omos, who's like seven foot tall, was just absolutely ridiculous. Like, and then Omos was staring down at him like, I wish you would. And then I believe Public Enemies podcast, shout out to them on Twitter, actually made the tweet and said, say all lives matter one more time. And I was just like, yes, that's exactly what that should be. Because Jackson Riker pretty much said some unsavory things 
on his social media, which kind of led to him getting taken off of television because he was a part of this group called the Forgotten Sons. And they got called up towards like the early part of the pandemic era um, last year, but then they disappeared. So now he's back with Elias now. And yeah, we just don't necessarily like him. So AJ Styles challenged Elias to a match. So this match um, happened. Um, Styles wasn't really ready for the power of Elias at first. Um, But then um, Elias basically threw him around and then almost basically made sure that Riker could not take a cheap shot at Styles. Um, And this slowed the match down enough to let um, AJ Styles recover. And as he fought back, he got caught with a drift away for a huge near fall. Can you imagine how amazing it would have been if Elias had gotten the win over AJ Styles, who's like a veteran, like that would have been amazing. But then almost encouraged the toughness of AJ Styles, who managed to unbalance his opponent and then hit the phenomenal forearm for the win. And something that I am enjoying seeing is sort of seeing AJ Styles and almost relationship sort of blossom into this friendship and not just a you're my muscle and I'm the boss type of thing. It's really beautiful to see them, you know, create this friendship and I would look forward to seeing it every week. Um, so yeah like that was just really cool then we had mustafa ali versus ricochet and i was pretty excited about this because the last time they fought each other it was pretty lit so i was just like yeah and then of course mustafa well let me correct myself mustafa came out with retribution and so Mustafa was trying to make it seem like ricochet was going to be at his weakest if he did not join retribution so um, they showed Ricochet's interview on Raw Talk where he explained that he could not afford um, to keep losing to Retribution. And Mustafa gave a pre-taped message saying that he accept that he needs to accept that he needs help to tap into, like, I guess, extra aggression. So he won't be, I guess, as weirdly irrelevant as he's been. And it's so sad because Ricochet is really talented, but he just he's just missing something. And I don't know what it is. But here's hoping this year he can find it. So T-Bar planted Ricochet on the outside of the ref um, on the outside behind the referee's back. And then Mustafa followed up with a splash onto the floor, which looked really nasty, but it was amazing still. Um, Then he continued the onslaught with a backstabber before Ricochet flipped over Mustafa right into an impressive German suplex. And then a fired up Ricochet planted Mustafa with a kickback, but then Mace from Retribution saved Mustafa from the pinfall and then Ricochet went after all the members of Retribution in an incredibly impressive spot like he was fighting everybody and knocked everybody down like yo it was so cool and then he took them all out with this um to set up a 630 splash but then he landed on the knees of um Mustafa which set up Mustafa to lock in the Koji clutch for the win and then he offered one last chance to ricochet to join the group but instead ricochet landed the recoil on him and then escaped and he made clear that he wasn't going to join him no matter what happened to him or no matter how many times he lost and this might be setting up them fighting again i'm not necessarily sure but at the same time it was really cool to see ricochet pop off the way he did because he's just so impressive and he's you know he's so great like i feel like there's so much more to him than just him doing flipping 
preppy stuff and him being a pretty boy with all of his abs and stuff like I think he's really cute and I also think Mustafa is really cute too with his hair and all that and all of his muscles and stuff but um <laughs> but that's besides the point there's so much more to Ricochet and I feel like you know that just needs to shine through a whole lot more this year so after that we had the Hurt Business versus the New Day and the Hardy Bros and I feel like that's really weird because I feel like it should be Jeff and Matt but you know Matt's at AEW so um the Hurt Business scared someone backstage and the falling on the floor and they just looked really good here with all their gold and in their suits and everything they're just the chocolate horsemen and it's great so then um after that they also showed angel garza you know having a special rose for someone but then um our truth was running away from this crowd of wrestlers trying to get him and his 24 7 title and when he ran into angel garza he said i'm sorry angel but me and my baby are spoken for and then he ran away <laughs> and then the rose was torn up and then he gave Gave a torn up rose to Charlie, and I'm ship. I'm still shipping Charlie Caruso and Angel, but at the same time, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe their love is dead. But then at the same time, maybe it's not dead. Maybe there's more for them to have there. Explore that love story. Give me what I want. But anyway, um, the New Days was was backstage um, wearing Big E's T-shirt that said um, "Think Big" on it, and they were celebrating his Intercontinental Championship win on Christmas before they headed to the ring. And MVP taunted them before giving the mic to Bobby Lashley to announce his entrance into the Royal Rumble. Um, and then um, also, you saw before the New Day made their entrances, they had on their Brody bands on their arms because they stated on social media how much Brody Lee really meant to them and how sad they were that he passed away. Um, especially Xavier. You could tell he was very torn up about it on social media. Like, I wanted to give him a hug because I just hate to see him cry. Um, then, um, so during the match, Kofi Kingston and Xavier um, worked with Fire ready to make a statement against the Hurt Business. But then Bobby Lashley managed to get his hands on um, Matt Riddle and then isolate him in the heel corner and keep him away from tagging in um, the New Day. And then um, Matt Riddle battled through to get to, to get the tag to Kofi, who planted Cedric Alexander with a boom drop. And then Xavier got set Cedric with a Luke Harp with a Luke Harper discus clothesline to set up the Swanton bomb, but then Bobby Lashley broke it up. And it was really cool to see that discus clothesline as another means of paying tribute to Brody Lee. And then um he made it to Jeff Hardy to tap out Well no, he made Jeff Hardy tap out to the Hurt Lock. And then um the face team survived a post-match attack from the Hurt Business after Matt caught Lashley with the final flash. So, um, that was a pretty good match. And that's really all that happened on Raw. But I do have something else to say. Um, a lot of people on social media was throwing all kinds of shade at WWE and how they weren't able to do like a full-scale tribute to um, John Huber, a.k.a. Brody Lee. The way that they normally do like OGs like Pat Patterson or um, Dusty Rhodes or something like that and have people standing out there. And the one thing that I hated was seeing everyone sort of compare tributes you know, between the promotions when it was absolutely and abundantly clear that Brody Lee had touched the lives of multiple people across multiple brands and multiple promotions. He was a, he was a very, um, 
versatile wrestler and where he wrestled like he wrestled in the indies he wrestled in wwe and he wrestled in aew during the last go of his career and something that i just absolutely hated seeing was people online comparing them it's kind of now as much as i understand that you have your people who are never going to be into wwe and then you have your people who are never going to be into aew but i feel like there should be a line drawn when there's a person who's passed away there should not be any competition you know going on between two to see which one did the better tribute because as far as i'm concerned the very same people who were complaining about wwe's tribute would have still been just as pissed if wwe didn't do anything at all and that's exactly what I mean. These same people would have been still angry if WWE had done nothing or if the superstars weren't allowed or or just didn't do anything at all to acknowledge the fact that they had lost a friend. Like, it's just it's it's just mind numbing. Like, I feel like at a certain point, competition should really just stop. We should just stop and really just acknowledge the fact that wrestling is wrestling and we should all respect each other's things that we're into and just love each other and not just try to tear each other apart like someone lost her husband like this woman like amanda lost her husband and her two children lost their daddy and a bunch of people lost a really good friend who sounds like he was an amazing person and i'm just gonna need for everybody to just chill out because it's not about the competition. It's not about AEW versus NXT or AEW versus Raw or AEW versus SmackDown. It's about wrestling collectively as a whole, losing someone who was very special. And we really just need to stop destroying each other over what we're into. We should be learning from each other and loving each other whenever times get hard. This was a time to come together and not draw lines in the sand. And that's all I have to say about that. And now we're going to recap AEW and their special and beautiful tribute to Brody Lee. Okay, so I'm going to recap this episode of AEW, but not in a critical way, because this was a tribute episode to the late Brody Lee, um, who clearly meant a lot to a lot of people in the wrestling business as a whole and AEW did possibly one of the best tribute episodes I've ever seen in my life and I actually enjoyed the action from top to bottom but it was definitely more of a show to show how much they really loved um Brody Lee so instead of really talking about the women and then the men like I normally do, I'm going to talk about the show from the top to the bottom, from beginning to end. Um, so you can know what my experience was while watching it. It was very emotional because the first time I had ever really seen Brody Lee, it was when he was um, Luke Harper um, in the Wyatt family in WWE with um, Eric Rowan and Bray Wyatt um and then of course they added on Braun Strowman towards um those um later part of their run and um when the Wyatt family was split up um he also was a part of the tag a tag team with Eric Rowan um called the Bludgeon Brothers and they worked with the New Day and actually beat them for the Smackdown tag team titles and um um as Luke Harper, he was able to become Intercontinental Champion. 
And that was really most of my experience with him. I didn't know that he was in the Indies until this past weekend. And I um, heard a lot about his work in AEW um, and how you became the TNT champion and his beef with um, Cody Rhodes and all of that. And I know a lot of people were definitely kind of upset when he um, wound up losing the TNT title back to Cody um, and... You know, Cody wound up retaining and then we wound up not seeing him on television for a while. And now we understand why. So the show started with Jim Ross saying Brody Lee's signature catchphrase saying it's Wednesday. And you know what that means. And the entire AEW roster, along with Amanda Huber and Negative One, um, Brody Lee Jr., were standing on the stage and they stood silent for a 10 bell salute and Brody Jr. was wearing a dark order mask and after the 10 bell salute they cut to a video of John Moxley talking about how hard it was to come up with the right words to pay tribute to Brody Lee and he talked about how they've known each other for over 10 years and how they have fought in bingo halls and in stadiums together. So basically, they had known each other for so very long, and they grew to become these wrestlers who fought in the independent circuits and like the smaller places where there are not that many people who will come to their shows or a good bit of people to now wrestling in stadiums and stuff like that, like where they are in Jacksonville, Florida. I believe it's called Daly's Place, but um, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but I think that's what it's called. So... He talked about how um, Brody Lee loved um, being a father um, and how he told him that when he found out that Renee, um, her his wife, was pregnant, he said, you're going to love being a dad. And he said, and then um, John Moxley was like, you sure? Because I kind of like being able to do whatever I want. Um, but he said, you're going to love it. And so he also talked about him and said by saying that he loved him like a brother and that he'll never forget him. But then he also talked about how pro wrestling, which I thought was very poignant and fit, you know, what's been going on lately. He said that pro wrestling is more than just a sport. It's a community, you know, it's people from all over the world, you know, coming together, you know, to love this one thing, which is sports entertainment. And I appreciated what he said, because here lately we've just been sort of going back and forth about what thing is is better than another thing and it really shouldn't just be about that it should be all about how we should come together and love each other over this one sport that we absolutely love and i appreciated everything that he said um it was very heartfelt and you can tell he really meant it and then the first match kicked off um with matt hardy and private party which i have lots of fun saying because they rhyme hardy gang hardy gang taking on Colt Cabana, um, whose nickname I learned is Boom Boom, and the Young Bucks, um, who I believe are the AEW Tag Team Champions. And Colt Cabana really impressed me in this match. Um, But before I get to how much he impressed me in this match, um, Colt Cabana started and Isaiah Cassidy um, both started for their teams. Um... And you can tell that Cole Cabana was trying to hang on to whatever bit of emotions that he had because he came out with the um, with the Dark Order. And he was 
really sad. They were all, you know, looking as emotional as you would expect them to be because, of course, they lost their leader because Brody Lee was the leader of the Dark Order faction. And he was still looking like he was really trying to hold back tears, but he still had a job to do. So the Young Bucks and Cole Cabana kept the upper hand for a long time and then sent Matt Hardy um, out of the ring with a triple drop kick. And then the rest of the match unfolded like a typical six-man um, contest. They had their multiple sequences. They were trading punches back and forth with double-team moves. The Young Bucks are always, like, anytime I do see the Young Bucks fight, they do they really do impress me, and I'm never bored watching them ever, and it was really good. But I was really surprised with Cole Cabana dominating as, as well as he did, doing all kinds of backflips and amazing acrobatic things because I was just like, man, like, because every time I'd ever seen Cole Cabana, it was always in the podcasting space or in the interview space like on um ring of honor so i never really saw him wrestle wrestle but he was amazing so um it was just really it was just a really good match but then cole cabana scored the win after um the young bucks hit the Meltzer driver and he followed up with a superman dive into the pin um and then brody they put the camera on brody jr um cheering you know after the match and stuff and it kept choking me up every time they were showing him because it's just the fact that he was there and I know they wanted him there to have a good time and for him to have fun so he can forget for a minute everything that's going on and that's one of the best things you could ever do for a child right there while they're going through while losing a parent like you can tell that AEW really pulled together and they're becoming this beautiful family for him if they are if they already weren't a family for him. So it was really beautiful. Um then the acclaimed came out and then complained about the Dark Order dominating the show, but then SCU showed up and then threw them into the ring so Cole Cabana and the Bucks, you know, could fight them. Then you had another match um with Lance Archer, Stu Grayson, and Evil Uno versus eddie kingston the butcher and the blade um so before this match darby um allen spoke and talked about how he met Brody lee when he debuted in AEW and immediately wanted to wrestle with him um he said it he told you know whoever he was talking to it doesn't matter you know what i do you know first in this company i want to wrestle him and he was just bound to determine to do that. And he said that Brody Lee had no ego and he wanted to elevate everybody. And he always wanted to pick Brody's brain because he was always so willing to share. And I thought that was a nice story to tell. But I did feel a certain kind of way because he was also one of the ones on social media who was beefing up the whole narrative of one promotion doing the better tribute than the other and I just felt some type of way about that but that's not about that right now um then Lance Archer came out in jeans and a tank top dressed up like the Luke Harper character that Brody Lee had in WWE which I thought was a really nice touch um and then Eddie Kingston grabbed a microphone and said he loved and missed Brody but then he went into heel mode and said that the Dark Order was nothing without him and that they're gonna you know continue to lose and fall into mediocrity and stuff like that but he didn't say that but that's just the gist of what he said then evil uno attacked um eddie kingston before the bell to kick off a big brawl between everyone and this was where i kind of learned um about more about all of these wrestlers because 
I hadn't really seen them really fight before because I don't really watch AEW a whole lot. But this match was still very entertaining and impressive. Um, and after um, the match ended, the Dark Order team wound up winning. Um, after the match ended, AEW played a tribute video with lots of people sharing their thoughts on Brody. Um, Cash Wheeler, Arn Anderson, Colt Cabana, and Bryce Rimsworth spoke about how great of a family man he was and how he should be on a Mount Rushmore of wrestling dads, you know, because he was just so, um, if, as much as he loved wrestling, he was always trying to, you know, get away so he could be with his family and be with his kids and his wife. Um, and that was really nice to hear and listen to. Then we had um, Hangman Page and Alex Reynolds and John Silver versus MJF, Santana, and Ortiz of the Inner Circle. I believe that's the name of their um, team. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I really don't watch this that much. Um, so John Silver wore his own version of Brody Lee's um, Dark Order attire and for the match and um mjf actually had the puerto rican flag on his trunks because you know he's been welcomed into the fold of um the inner circle with them so they so silver and john reynolds well silver and alex reynolds excuse me threw some paper at their opponents as a reference to what Brody lee would do to them on being the elite um and i thought that was a nice little tribute and then MJF rolled out of the ring and yelled at Brody Jr. And then Negative One just stood, you know, resilient and just, you know, looked at him like, whatever, dude. And I thought that was, I kind of felt like that was a little bit much. Because I was just like, MJF, I'm going to need for you to chill and not yell in this little boy's face right now. Um, it was just very sensitive for me. But I know he was just doing it because he likes to heal everything up because that's just him. Um, so this match was very steady with his pace and then the teamwork was on both sides was really crisp um johnny um got the hot tag when we returned from a commercial break and went on a rampage and then he went he single-handedly took out everyone on the opposing team and then um he hit some great spots before mjf hit him with the heat seeker and then santana and ortiz tried to pin him but then reynolds made the save and then Wardlow took um, Reynolds down and Eric Redbeard, the former Eric Rowan, came out and took him out of the equation. And I thought this was amazing. This seriously surprised me. Like I was I was sitting down in I was sitting down in my living room taking down a Christmas tree. And then all of a sudden I see Eric Rowan show up on the TV and I'm like, oh my God, it's Eric. And I just freaked out. And I was just really emotional because I'm just like, oh my God, the Wyatt brother, no, it was just too much for me. And then MJF ripped the mask off of Brody Jr. And then Brody Jr. hit him with a kendo stick. And this made me laugh really hard because I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, I love how they're just letting him be a part of the story. Like, go Brody Jr., go. Um, I love I love him and I want nothing but great things for him. And then the match ended with Silver, Reynolds, and Paige getting the win. And then um, Eric Rowan, um, who's also known as Eric Redbeard, joined them in the ring with a sign for Brody Lee. And it said, um, goodbye for now, my brother. I'll see you soon or I'll see you down the road. And it was really emotional because I think that's what he posted on Instagram. And they started crying. And they were hugging each other. It was so 
beautiful. Um, and I think this was one of the points in which I cried because it was just like, man, like you can tell they were really feeling it. And, um, he did, and Brody Lee Jr. did such a good job with hitting MJF and Ned with the kendo stick. So it was just really beautiful. Then Eddie Kingston was um, featuring a video, and he was telling everyone how he felt about Brody Lee and how much he'll miss him, and how about and how much he'll miss ribbing him backstage and telling him he looks like Harry Potter. Um, and he was crying and stuff, and it was a lot. Then we had the girls match between Anna Jay and um, Tynara Conti. I'm going to always call her Tynara. It's just how what I'm used to calling her. Um, versus Britt Baker and Penelope Ford. And Anna Jay, who's also in the Dark, in the dark Order, um, came out with Tynara. And... Her and Britt Baker started the match with some chain wrestling, and they managed to get some offense in before Conti tagged in. And this match um, was a good pace as well, and it was a little bit slower than the six-man bouts that we had seen earlier in the night. Um, Tanara and Anna Jay had a really great unit going, you know, with their tag team continuity. Um, but then Ford and Baker worked really well as a unit, too, and they had... Um, heel tactics down you know like they've been working together a whole lot but then Anna Jay who's also known as 99 as um Brody Lee would call her got the hot tag when we returned from commercial break and she hit a series of moves um before um having Penelope Ford stop her momentum and then Conti dealt with Ford leaving Jay and Baker in the ring together and then um Anna Jay signaled to the sky and then gave the Dark Order gesture with tears in her eyes. And then she caught Penelope Ford with a moonsault and then locked in a sleeper hold for the victory while Tanara Conti um, kept Britt Baker at bay. So they celebrated after they won the match and they were both crying and hugging one another because the emotions were really high. And then Tony Schiavone came in the ring and interviewed Britt Baker after the match. And she said that this whole match was rigged and it was a big conspiracy and that it was just seriously a really big rig. And she was doing that to pay tribute to Brody Lee because during in the indie circuit, his name, his wrestler name was Big Rig. And she winked at the camera and pointed up at the sky. And then as she was getting ready to walk away, Thunder Rosa came out and attacked her before officials broke them up. And it's always good to see Thunder Rosa. Hey, girl. Um, <laughs> so, um, then we have Team Taz versus 10, Team Taz, um, versus 10, Cody Rhodes and Orange Cassidy. And this was a match that Brody, um, Lee Jr. actually, um, booked himself, which was another means of them, um, giving him more to do in terms of well not more to do but giving him stuff to do in terms of wrestling which sort of you know did my heart good and they showed a video of Chris Jericho talking about a story where they were in Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia together and how Brody Lee told him about how they have arrows on their roof you know on the roofs of their buildings pointing towards Mecca and he said that Brody spent the last six months of his career proving that he was a main event star. And he said that his um, unfriendly dog, you know, who doesn't take kindly to visitors, loved Brody from the first time that um, the dog met him. And it was kind of, you know, heartfelt to hear Chris Jericho talk about it 
Actually, I just like hearing Chris Jericho talk about wrestling, period. He just has a really calming and soothing voice whenever he does talk about wrestling in a serious um, on the serious tip, because of course, you know, he's a legend. He knows a lot about the business. Um, and then he was also making me laugh while he was on commentary to, that night too. It was really funny. Um, so this match was really good. Um, when orange Cassidy came out, he gave Brody jr. A hang bump before the match ended and I thought it was funny how the way that Orange Cassidy is um, introduced, he says, from wherever, Wang, whatever. And it's just really funny. Um, so Cody started off against um, Starks, and then they traded chops back and forth in the corner before Cody um, went down for a drop kick. Ten reluctantly took the tag and then entered the match. But then when Hobbs tagged in, he only wanted to fight Orange Cassidy. And... Every time I see um, Powerhouse Hobbs, I think about Sir Wilkins of the Jobbers Here's podcast and how he talks about Hobbs so much with so much enthusiasm. And I just think about how he says his last name. Oh, it's Hobbs. And it's just, he just says it so hard and he just loves it so much. And I, I love him so much. Um, um, then after everyone on Team Taz spent some time beating up on Orange Cassidy, Cody came in and then turned the tables against Starks, but then Ricky Starks. And then we got to the part where everyone came in and took somebody else out and it ended with 10 hitting cage with a short, uh, with a short arm clothesline before Starks hit a tornado DDT for a two count. But then Cassidy, Cody and 10 took turns hitting their finishers on Starks to get the win. And then 10 hugged his partners for the night and threw up the dark order symbol before team Taz came back and beat up on them for revenge. And then they beat up everybody before the lights dropped. And then Darby um, Allen's music hit. Um, he's still the TNT champion. And then he was soon joined by Sting with the bat and the snow. And it was cool. And then they made their way to the ring, you know, and stood with Tin, Cody, and Cassie to end the segment. So I'm guessing that Sting and um, Darby Allen, you know, have some more of a bone to pick with Team Taz. So I guess we'll see more of that, you know, next week, I guess. And the show um, came to a beautiful end because Cody was in the ring and he was talking about how hard it was to write the memo, letting everyone know that um, Brody had passed away. And he spoke about how he loved how every single person in AEW loved Brody Lee. And he almost cried as he introduced Brody Jr. with his very own entrance um with Brody Lee's with Brody Lee's um theme music and it's always hard to see Brody Lee be I mean not I mean not Brody Lee but it was really hard to see Cody Rhodes be that emotional um because I've seen him cry multiple times like when he was in WWE about certain things and it's just like he's one of those people where it's like once you see him cry once I see a person cry I just start crying immediately so it was just really hard and then Brody Jr. came out with his mother, Amanda, and they set Brody's boots down in the middle of the ring and covered it with a purple um, bandana. And then the AEW president, Tony Khan, appeared and presented a negative one with the TNT championship. Um, and they retired it in its current form and named him the TNT champion for life and called him the greatest TNT champion that ever lived and um his dad the greatest tnt champion that ever lived 
Um, and then they presented a video package, which paid tribute to Lee and his wrestling and showed clips of him with being the elite and clips of him in the indie circuit and pictures of him with his family. Um, and it was just really beautiful. Um, and it was really hard because you saw um, one of the members of the Dark Order, I believe it was 10 or it may have been someone else in a mask, holding her and hugging her as she was crying and breaking down. And it was so hard. Like, this is where I just had to let go. And I just started crying because I can't imagine losing your husband who's like your absolute best friend like I can't imagine losing my boyfriend like that like that would really destroy me and I know that he and I aren't married yet but I know that in the event that we that once we do get married I just can't imagine ever losing him you know like that in any way shape or form and then having to deal with it and also having to raise these two young children you know, who have to now navigate life without their dad. Like, that's just so hard. And my heart goes out to anybody who's had to go through that, through losing a parent, whether it be at a young age or whether it be as an adult. Like, it's not an easy thing to deal with. And my heart goes out to the Huber family and all of the friends of Brody Lee, um who are currently going through this loss right now. And I hope that the new year brings, you know, nothing but blessings and happiness to them, you know, as they're navigating this new normal without Brody Lee. And I hope that his transition was peaceful. And I hope that wherever he is, he has peace and love and he's surrounded by light and everything that he needs in the next life. And that's the end of this AEW recap. Okay, and for our last weekly recap, I'm going to talk about SmackDown. Um, a lot happened tonight, but we're just going to start um, with talking about the women. So there was a tag team match between the Riot Squad um, and Tamina and Natalia, even though it was kind of confusing because I think it was um, you had Billy Kay come out and she was sort of dressed in her gear to fight. But then she entered. She was backed by Tamina, you know, who... Um, and she was backed up by Tamina, who wanted to use Natalia as a partner instead. So once once the momentum was swung, it was just kind of like Billy Kay just kept running to manage the Riot Squad. But then she was running to also manage Tamina and Natalia. But they just kept, you know, brushing her off like they didn't want her there. And she continued to sort of switch sides until, you know, her involvement distracted Tamina and allowed um, Liv Morgan to roll up Tamina for the win. And I feel like, honestly, that the Riot Squad should honestly be the next people in line to face um, Charlotte and Asuka for the women's tag team titles. Because, I mean, they're back together now. Like, there's so much more they could be doing, uh, you know, but maybe. But it's like Corey Graves was saying tonight, you know, maybe they just feel like slow and steady wins the race as opposed to just, you know, having like a straight shot towards it. So we'll we'll see what's, what happens with that. But then I also feel a little bit confused as to what Billy Kay is doing. It's like 
she could be wrestling in a tag team, but then she also could also be a manager maybe for another tag team. I don't know, but I still feel like she's sort of, her and Peyton Royce both have been sort of lost ever since they've been broken up. And I feel like I'm, I'm trying to trust that they have something for both of them to do. But here lately, it's like you haven't seen Peyton Royce on television and you see Billy Kay on television more, but she's not really doing anything that has like a clear cut point. So we'll see. I don't know. Then you also had Carmella and Bailey versus um, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks um, in their tag team match. And this match was pretty good um, considering um, Sasha Banks and Bianca wanted to get revenge on Bailey and Carmella for messing up their chances of winning the women's tag team um, titles um, on Christmas Day. And I think one of the best takeaways I got from this match was definitely that Bianca Belair is always ready to show and shine, you know, um, no matter who she's facing and that her and Bailey are going to have a pretty heated, you know, one-on-one -on -one match whenever they do get to have that exchange and that Sasha Banks and Carmella's program isn't over just yet. And this match was really good, but I think the part that irritated me the very, the most was Reggie. Like, I understand that he's supposed to be, like, her sommelier, but it felt like he just got bolder and bolder um, in Sasha Banks' face as she kept trying to fight, you know, Carmella. And he, and then it's like every time she would reach for him, you know, he would flip out of the way or whatever. And it's like, I understand you're athletic or whatever, but I really... I feel like in 2021, something that needs to be established is men staying out of women's business. Like literally stay out of women's business and it gets on my nerves how Carmella just utilizes all these men like at first it was James Ellsworth and now she's using Reggie to win these matches and I'm like ma'am you don't even need him you don't need him in your business to help you win matches like how do you feel knowing that you can't win anything or do anything without a penis present like how does that feel but I yeah either way um and because of this distraction, Carmella took out Banks, you know, for the win. So I guess now her and Carmella are still beefing with each other. And then there's always that underlying anger that, that Sasha has at Bailey. And Bailey was still trying to, you know, you know, pick at her while also picking at Bianca. And there was even this cool point where Bianca even, you know, tried to help Sasha tag in, you know, with her braid. But then, you know, Bianca, you know actually no bailey grabbed a hold of the braid but then because she grabbed a hold of the braid she ran bailey into the um the ring post and i was just like that's exactly what you get for being a karen and touching a black woman's hair boom anyway also in terms of women sonya deville made her return after um after losing her loser leaves WWE match at SummerSlam against Mandy Rose. And she was walking backstage and everybody was kind of staring at her like, oh my God, she's back. And I was really excited as they were saying that she was reinstated. So I'm just like, girl, who is she finna fight? You know, I was thinking maybe she was going to be on Raw. But I mean, her on SmackDown is pretty cool too. So hey, Daddy Sonya is back and I'm glad. So... That's pretty much all that happened with the women. So now with the men, the show started with Roman Reigns um, doing an in-ring promo talking about that everything he touches turns to gold and how um, 
and he was singling out Paul Heyman and Jey Uso as proof of this. And he talked about how he had saved Paul Heyman from being cast aside by WWE while elevating Uso to the best year of his, you know, singles career and a position as a true main event talent. And I guess he was setting him up for some type of present or something or some type of treatment, um, special treatment or something. But then Kevin Owens came and interrupted Roman Roman Reigns while he was talking. And he said that, but then Roman Reigns objected and said that nobody cares what Owens has to say after losing to him twice. And then Kevin said that his appearance on the show proves that Roman Reigns and Uso failed in their attempts to destroy him. But then he also said that he didn't want anything to do with Roman Reigns tonight, but he wanted to face Jey Uso in the ring and demand that it would happen later on in the show. And he made a passionate appeal to Adam Pearce, who seemed kind of hesitant to create the match because he it seemed like he wanted him to fight somebody else. But then Kevin Owens was talking about how he had known Adam Pearce for years. And you ought to know, you know, like, I forgot what he was saying. Um in terms of knowing Adam Pierce and all the aggression that he had towards Jey Uso. But Pierce made the match and then Roman Reigns demanded that Paul Heyman find out who disrespected him enough to allow the match to be made. And then Paul Heyman told him later on that it was Adam Pierce who made it. And then um he told Jey Uso to go out there, you know, and prove, you know, why you're the main event guy now. And it's almost like maybe Roman Reigns has some pent-up aggression towards Adam Pearce and maybe he might set up some type of attack towards him. I don't know. It just felt really scary the way he was doing that. But then it also felt scary how Adam Pearce felt hesitant about it because normally he would be, you know, saying, of course, you get a match, you get a match, you get a match like Oprah. But he felt really hesitant this time and I thought that was strange. But yeah, um... Then we had Big E um, fighting King Corbin. And of course, Big E is looking to sort of go on his momentum from winning the Intercontinental Championship from Sami Zayn last week on Christmas. And it was just... um, And this match was pretty good. You had a lot of athleticism from the both of them. I was definitely impressed with how Big E did those, um, did those, um, did that belly to belly suplex. Like he did like three of them on on King Corbin and that was cool. Um, But the match ended via disqualification because Sami Zayn was on commentary. He ran in to break the pin after Big E hit the big ending on Corbin. And even Corbin's Knights of the Lone Wolf ran in. Um, and tried to beat up on Biggie at some point. But then they ran in attacking Biggie until Apollo Crews ran in to make the save. And this led to a tag team match. And I felt like this was kind of unfair because you kind of had Big E, you know, and Apollo Crews, you know, as a two-man group. And then you have Corbin with his other two dudes and Sami Zayn. So I was just like, you know, this is still kind of unfair. But it actually wound up, you know, working in favor of Biggie and Apollo Crews because Sami Zayn was was running his mouth and he wound up making King Corbin and the Knights of the Lone Wolf walk away from him as he kept screaming, I don't need you. I don't need you. And then Apollo Crews wound up getting the win on him, you know, during the match. But he was just arguing and his, you know, and his mouth was writing a check that his butt couldn't cash per usual. And then later on in the show, Big E was talking backstage, you know, with Kayla Braxton about how he celebrated with uh, with different people. And he named people like Amanda's and um, 
he mentioned the real name of one of Brody Lee's sons. And he did that to pay tribute to, to Brody Lee because he was very emotional on Twitter about um, him passing away as well. And he was also one of the many superstars who had on Brody um, armbands on, on because Bailey had one on, Sasha had one on, um, Big E had one on, I believe um, Daniel Bryan had one on as well and Cesaro too. So it was just really a, like a nice gesture. But then um, he issued an open challenge for the Intercontinental Championship because he wanted to be a fighting champion. And Apollo Crews accepted it and said he was going to fight him next week as Big E laughed in his face, which only means that Big E is going to destroy you. So that was really cool. Then the Street Profits hosted a New, a New Year's Day smoke-tacular, and they were offering up predictions for 2021, mocking, you know, Sami Zayn and saying that their um, I Was Intercontinental Championship t-shirts would sell and become the number one seller on WWEshop.com. And then they also made fun of Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler and called Dolph Ziggler the heartache kid um, by saying that he really is a Shawn Michaels cosplayer, which is true. He kind of is. And so as they were making fun of them and as um, Angela was playing the drums and he called it this lunch, this lunch table um, rhythm real quick. And I thought that was really cool because, I mean, how many times have we been in and we are as black kids anyway, we're in um, school and saw someone, you know, banging a drum beat on the lunch table or on their desk. Like, that was really cool. But then they got attacked by Robert Roode and, and Dolph Ziggler. And they came in acting, you know, rougher. And they started beating on Montez Ford's leg with a chair. And they tossed out Angelo Dawkins and basically attacked the both of them to prove now that they're the dirty dogs and they have t-shirts made and that they really want those SmackDown tag titles. And it was just like, blah, whatever. Then we had Daniel Bryan and Otis versus Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. And this match came about because as Daniel Bryan was helping Otis train or whatever with um, Chad Gable, Cesaro and Shinsuke were making fun of Daniel Bryan, you know, wanting to be in the Royal Rumble because he said that was the one match that he hadn't won yet. And I thought it was so funny that they were making fun of him, but yet... Daniel Bryan, you know, actually wound up winning the world title without having to win a Royal Rumble match, whereas Cesaro has never won a world title before. And actually, neither has Shinsuke Nakamura, if we're getting technical. He won the Royal Rumble match and still didn't win the world title. So, I mean, um, y'all throwing shade, but... Daniel Bryan is the champion out here. So, yeah. Um, this match was pretty good. It showed a lot of their athleticism. And then Otis was able to sort of hold his own and yell out Happy New Year in 2021 after he hit his whole Caterpillar deal. Um, and Bryan put Shinsuke in the LaBelle lock to win the match. So, that was a pretty good match going forward and then Kevin Owens went on to defeat Jey Uso via pinfall after a, a stunner and it was a brawl from the jump but Owens took things overboard and kept his attack focused on Jey Uso's leg and then Owens would finish off Uso after a stunner before turning to the camera and asked where are you Roman and he kept beating up Jey Uso as he had promised and it seemed like Owens was sort of 
picking at the whole scab of, oh, this is your family, but you're not coming out to help him. You're not coming out to help him, Roman. Where are you at, though? It was a lot. And then Owens handcuffed Jey Uso to the ropes before hitting him with a super kick, all while continuing to call for Roman Reigns to show some pride and save his family. And then Owens took Uso to the entrance ramp and it was about to put Jey Uso through a table when Roman Reigns attacked and jumped on him um, on the platforms where the LED boards are where the um, fans can watch through the um, Thunderdome screens and Uso and Reigns then proceeded to beat up Roman Reigns with a pair of steel chairs and threw him from the LED board area into the table to end the show and what's so funny is the fact that after he threw him through the table, Roman Reigns was standing over him and said, Happy New Year. And I was just like, you dastardly demon. <laughs> he just ain't got no chill no more. Only a savage would wish you Happy New Year after beating you and throwing you through the table. That's how head of tables do. I love Roman Reigns. That's the end of this recap for SmackDown. <laughs> okay so thank you for listening to this special episode of the hardy wrestling podcast this is the first episode of the new year and i'm really glad to be doing this now i'm really happy and thankful to see another year and to be alive to experience hopefully a better year um than 2020 um was in some spaces um so if you want to follow me like as always you can follow me on instagram at hardy wrestling podcast and you can follow me on twitter at hardy wrestle pod um and you can also follow the facebook page at hardy wrestling with stephanie hardy um if you have any questions you want to ask me you can always dm me or if you want to do an interview with me you can always dm me as well i'll be more than happy to share some space with you on my show if you're a fan if you're a wrestler if you're a professional camera person if you take pictures or if you're a ring announcer or or a wrestling podcaster i'll be more than happy to share some space on my show with you please come on um Hopefully a lot of big things will be happening this year. My one year anniversary show is coming up because that ties right into Royal Rumble season. So that's going to be cool. Um, If you have any ideas for me and anything you want me to talk about on my first anniversary show, please let me know. Um, So in the meantime, I hope you're taking care of yourselves and being good to yourselves this year. If you set any resolutions and goals, I hope you meet them this year. Um, And I hope you had a great holiday season and it's good to finally get back to work and do everything that we're meant to do in this space. And I hope we have a fantastic year full of happiness and healthiness and just all around light like that we seriously need. So thank you for listening to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. And until next time, bye y'all.